Hey, this is John Stevens, pastor of Chapelwood, and this is our weekly sermon podcast. I hope it will impact your heart and your life and help you grow closer to God. Check us out online at chapelwood.org. Thanks for tuning in. Today's scripture is taken from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. You may follow along with me by turning to page 155 in the New Testament section of the Pew Bible. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves His love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated. No, stay standing. Oh, it's okay, okay Jim. I didn't I'd, see that part. No, that's all right. It's not your fault. I, I'd like for you all to stand and greet one another and welcome everybody to Chapelwood. Hey, Chapelwood family and friends, we have finished up 2023 and we are ready for an exciting 2024. I welcome you to worship. Normally, we would send you to chapwood.org slash home as the landing page, but in January, we are engaged in our stewardship of gifts. This is the time when we ask all of the members and supporters of Chapwood to submit an estimate of giving for the year to let us know how to plan in our ministry as we move forward. It's also important for you and your spiritual growth to make sure that you are giving generously and with a cheerful heart. Make sure you visit chapelwood.org slash give. Find out more about stewardship of gifts and how you can submit your estimate of giving for 2024. God bless you. Looking forward to an exciting year ahead. Let's get that ready. All right, so we're back. Well, uh, I do welcome all of you here and those of you who are with us online. Uh, we are in the month of January. We are in a new year, which is exciting, hopefully, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of, of optimism and excitement about 2024. It just kind of feels like things are getting better. And uh, I'm, I'm going to claim that and name that and hope that and just not let it go for a long time. Um, so as we get in the season of January, there's a couple of things that we want to do. One of them is I want to talk about who we are at Chapwood. And sort of cast that vision of why it is that we do what we do. Why it is that we've responded the way we respond? How is it that we live out our flesh as that understanding that our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world? I'll unpack that. And the way that we do it, how we do it is very important. That we embody God's grace as we receive it to those who need it. And everybody needs it. I want to talk about what it means to be a church that embodies grace. But also in January, this is our Stewardship of Gifts Month. Every January at Chapelwood... The 10 years I've been here and the 20 years Jim was here and so on before in January, this is the time of the year that we come and we talk about biblical stewardship. It's particularly it relates to our finances. And I will just say this very briefly. Sometimes when we talk about 
uh, financial stewardship in the church. People uh, who are not within the church, somebody's just talking about money all the time. Well, we don't talk about money all the time. We, um, we don't talk about money enough, honestly, because Jesus talked about it quite a bit and we kind of avoid it. But what we do talk about is financial biblical stewardship. And what that means is the least important part of that is funding the church budget. That's the least important part of it. It's part of it, but it's the least important part. The most important part is having an understanding as followers of Christ of what it means to engage in biblical stewardship and to understand theologically that everything we have, everything we've been given, whether it's our money, our houses, our property, our education, our abilities, our jobs, our companies, all of those things have been given to us by God. That's the way we understand it as Christians. And that we are called to be stewards of that. We're not owners, we're stewards. And we use it for the purposes to help the kingdom of God become a reality in the world that we live. And so financially, it's important for us to understand how money works in our lives. And we give to the church, which is the body of Christ, the embodiment of Jesus in the world. The church is the only institution that is more than an institution. It is the body of Christ. That's a biblical understanding of the church. And we are called by the scripture to give our first fruits to the church for the work of the body of Christ in the world. Now, I support other nonprofits. You do too. And I think they're great. And I think you should support them. But the, the Bible makes it very clear that as Christians, that first fruit of our giving goes to the body of Christ, the church, that God has established for the work of making the kingdom of God a reality in the world. And so when we go through this season of prayerful discernment, you're going to have a lot of resources to help you. There's a nice little bulletin. You can go to chapwood.org give. And when you click on submit an estimate, there's a whole resource page of all sorts of questions. There's a video that Scott Humphrey, our new executive director of stewardship and I uh, created to talk about what is giving? How do you give? How much should we give? Uh, what are some tips for people who are new givers or first time givers? And what are tips for us who have been givers, but we are feeling led for God to lead us to the next step or maybe grow in our giving? The bottom line question is, God, what are you asking me to do financially for you through the church. So it is a prayerful, spiritual process. And we ask people to put that in an estimate of giving. We call it estimate on purpose because sometimes things change during the year and sometimes situations change. It's not a pledge. It's not a, a note that someone's going to send you a bill because it's come due. It's an estimate. It's some your best guess understanding and you put pen to paper. And the reason I think that's a good spiritual practice is because anytime you've ever set a goal or made a commitment, when you put that pen to paper, it has a little bit more tangible essence and quality to it. And so that's a spiritual component of it as well. And then you come back and revisit that through the year. Sometimes God changes our situation and we're not able to do the estimate that we've given. We have to do less. Sometimes I've found that God has blessed people abundantly more than they anticipated. And guess what? You can change your estimate up too. Uh, that's not impossible to do. And so this is just a, a process for us to go through where I'm inviting you, as we do every year, to engage in a spiritual, prayerful discernment process, asking God, God, what are you asking me? What are you calling me to do financially for the work of your kingdom this year? So I lay that before you for those of you who are here and online, and we'll be talking a little bit more about that through the month as well. But I also really want to talk, and what I think is very, very important, is understanding who we are, 
where we're going and what we're about at Chapelwood. So I want to dive right into this Romans chapter 5. Now, in Paul's letter to the Romans, what Jesus is, what Paul is doing is he is encouraging the followers of Jesus to make a move. He's encouraging them to make a move from a theological framework and understanding what our faith is as far as belief and to make the move into what does it look like as a practical everyday living. This is important because churches, in churches we tend to use a lot of theological words. We use a lot of uh, esoteric type words. And, and sometimes, you know, we preachers are guilty of that too. And churches believe that if we can just teach the right teaching, if we can just find the right truth, if we can discern the right training and the right theological discussion, the right theological idea, that if somehow, if somehow we can get the theology right, then we can alleviate all of the tensions and the problems and the conflicts that go on in the world around us and in the church, that somehow they would all just evaporate and disappear. But Paul didn't understand it that way. He didn't think that way. When he observed what was going on in the church, the same types of situations that we face, by the way, cultural and social issues, political issues and relational issues and racial issues. What came down to is he understood there was a faulty understanding of how God is at work and what God has done through the world in Jesus Christ. And so what Paul said is, yeah, there's a faulty understanding and yeah, we got to correct your theology, but not so that you think right, so that it leads you to living differently. Paul's understanding was not all about right belief. And sometimes we modern Christians think it's all about right belief. Paul is actually more about right living than he is about right belief. That Christianity is a faith that's lived, not just a faith that's believed. Now, don't get me wrong, belief's important. And the reason I know this to be true in Paul is when you unpack his epistles, one of the most popular statements Paul uses in his epistles is that we are called as Christians to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. He says that in Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians, we are called to walk in a manner worthy of the, uh, of the calling that we've been called. And that word walk literally means you are called to live your life every day in a manner worthy to the calling that you've been called. The difference for Paul is all about how are you living? It wasn't just Paul was trying to correct uh, Christians about their theology. He was trying to give us an adequate and appropriate ways to understand the nature and the work of God so we would live differently. So Paul's ultimate goal, if you read all of Paul, you really dive in, what you find is that Paul's ultimate goal was always social and ethical, not theological and heady. And so his arguments were always made to impact your behavior in the world, how you live in the world. Paul was all about how are we impacting and shifting how Christians live in Corinth through a very multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-religious, you know, geopolitical firestorm. How are you called to live in the midst of all of that difficulty and all that disagreement where everybody is not all on the same page, you see? It was about impacting the Christian's behaviors. And so Paul wanted to shift the way that we are called to live in the world. He wanted to give Christians in the churches the ways to live out their faith in their day-to-day -day living in the midst of the complexities that they faced in real life. 
And nothing's changed in 2,000 years, by the way. Well, a lot has changed. But what I mean is we still have complexities in life. We still have disagreements in life. We still have cultural issues and social issues, political issues and racial issues and geo, socioeconomic, all these things that were there in Corinthians, that were there in Galatians, that were there in Ephesians, all those things are still here. Now, it's 2,000 years later, but this is what we face. And so when you look at the book of Romans, for example, Romans is probably one of the most densely theological books that Paul writes. And he does it for a reason. You would think, well, he's very heady in Romans. And he is. The first 11 chapters are deeply theological. As a matter of fact, um, if you are looking to get your mind in a, in, a, in a doom loop and you're looking to go to sleep at night, just start getting into Romans, the first 11 chapters. And it's like those, you know, those books you read sometimes and you have to go back and read the line over and over and over again. And you're like, I'm not really sure I know what that means. You get some of that in Romans. But in these chapters... Paul is laying out this theological underpinning that the justification of Jew and Greek alike by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, that is what is being revealed into the world. And he lays that out theologically. He doesn't mention specific situations going on in the world. He doesn't mention the Roman church or anything else. He's simply laying out the non-negotiable core of God's redemptive work through Jesus Christ, how salvation works. But then he does something really fascinating. When he gets to chapter 12 through 15, he shifts things. And all of a sudden, in these final chapters in Romans, Paul's all about, now I've just, this is my version of Paul telling you, I just went through this deeply theological, heavy, dense stuff about justification and salvation and the first Adam and Jesus and the second Adam and how God comes to save the world and that we're all sinners and all fallen short of the glory of God. And it's by the grace of God that we, in faith in Christ, that we are able to be saved. None of us deserve it. And yet this is the work of God for all of God's people, Jews and Greek alike. Unmerited, he didn't do anything to earn it, but he's given it to us. And then in these final couple of chapters, he's like, he shifts. And he goes, now that I've laid all that out for you, I want you to understand what this actually means in practice in life. And so he summons us to a way of living. See, sometimes I think we think of Paul as just this moralist and this legalist and he's all about the rules and he's not at all, when you read him, he's not at all. He is a very much of a pastor about relationships and about faith and life. And so he summons a new way to live life. This is the way you live your faith with your boots on the ground in the midst of all the difficulty and all the chaos and all the complexity. Here's how you do it. This new life, he says, is characterized by two things. First, we offer our entire selves, our bodies, our lives to God as an act of worship every moment of every day. And second, we are to shift the gravitational center of our lives from conforming to the world, from conforming to the cultural norm, from conforming to the social norm, from conforming to the political norm, from conforming to any other norm out in the world to being transformed by taking on a renewed mind Repentance, metanoia, means, meta means to go beyond, nois means the mind, to go beyond your current way of thinking. This is what repentance means. It doesn't just mean, hey, I'm sorry, I did wrong. Repentance means you are going beyond your way of thinking into a new way of thinking. 
a more expansive mind that aligns with God's mind, with God's sight, with God's way of seeing how we are to live in God's grace in the world. We have received God's grace. Now we are called to share God's grace in the world. And here's what he writes at the very beginning of the shift in Romans 12, chapter 1 and 2, I mean, verses 1 and 2. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, the grace that you have received, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I love the Eugene Peterson message translation of this exact same passage. He uses some more modern phrasing. He says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Now, while we leave that verse up there, let me just kind of unpack how I see some of this work in real time and in real life. Now, as a pastor, I'm on a lot of email distribution lists. I get a lot of stuff from different, I call them caucus groups within the church, right? Within the religious world of, of America. And I get uh, a lot of things, whether they're from the right or the left, more the right or the left side, they come and they always have sort of a, their agenda, right? And it's always funneled through the faith. But here's what I find interesting. A lot of these emails will come and say, we're facing unprecedented days. Things are changing and the world's going to hell. And I kind of agree with that. I mean, that's, that's not bad, not wrong. Um, and it doesn't matter what the issue is, okay? Because I, I promise you, I get them from both ends of the spectrum on this. <laughs> and then I get, it's time for Christians to stand up. We must go to war. We must fight the battle. It's time for you to put yourself in the fight. Join us at this place. Join us for this march. Join us to give to this cause. We've got to fight. We've got to stand. We've got to, it's, it's very militant, almost uh, violent language. There's even a sense where when I get these things where people are saying, we need to reclaim our Christian moral values in the world. We need, to, we need to reclaim the essence and the entity of what it means to be Christian in the world. And in order to do that, we need to put aside our Christian morals and values <laughs> so that we can obtain a world that will be the center of Christian moral and values. I'm not lying to you. I mean, they don't say that, but that's kind of what they say, right? We need to use the tools and the techniques and the strategies of the world out there. What does Paul say? Don't conform to that. We need to use that in order to win to get what we want. All sides do this, my friends. It's not just right. It's not just left. They all do it. 
Now, I'm not putting myself up here as a virtue of perfection on any of this, because I probably do that at times as too, as we all do. But I'm going to tell you that we are called to live different. Let me give you one other little example here. You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and they came to arrest him? And when the soldiers from the, the temple soldiers came to arrest him, Peter jumped up in front of Jesus to protect him. And you remember what he did? He pulled out a sword. And he struck the guard and he cut off his ear. And do you remember what Jesus said? Hit him again, he's still moving. Um, for those of you who are not well adept in the, in the Bible, that did not happen. That was a joke. Uh, Jesus, Jesus said, put away your sword. Because those who live by the sword die by the sword. Now, this is Peter. Then fast forward years later, at the end of Peter's life, as he is headed towards his own martyrdom and death, the world has changed. Jesus has been resurrected. The church has grown and established, and it is being persecuted now by the Roman emperor. Christians are being beheaded. Christians are being tarred and placed on stakes and set on fire to light the parties. The Christians are being blamed for everything. They are being hunted down and executed and killed. And Peter writes a letter to the church in this time. And you know what he says? Same Peter who used the sword, who lived from Jesus, he said, my friends, in the midst of all of the difficult days that we live in, with all the persecution, as much suffering as you are enduring, just know that that suffering is refining you like a purifier. And don't forget that you're a holy priesthood. You're a royal nation. You're never going to lose that in the midst of your suffering. And then he says, how do we respond? How do we live in the midst of this difficult days? We live such good lives that, that though they accuse you of wrong, they see your good deeds. They see your love. And they see that even in the midst of your death, you glorify God. He says, submit to every human authority. Submit to the emperor. Submit to the governors. Be a light to the world. You are my dear children. My friends, sometimes I wonder if we modern Christians have forgot what it means to be biblical Christians. We've bought the lie that in a church, you can't have people on different ends of the spectrum. It can only be one or the other. That is a lie of the devil and of the world and of the, and of the culture around us that Paul says, don't succumb to that. That's not your primary orientation. We're always going to have things we disagree on. But what Paul makes clear and Jesus makes clear is that when you are embodying God's grace, how you engage in the disagreement is actually more important than where you come out on the disagreement. At the very center of the Christian faith, the Christian faith is always enfleshed and it is always embodied. We just finished Christmas season. And in that season, we remember that Jesus is born among us. The very center of our Christian faith is this fundamental truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, period. That is the central fact 
and heart of Christianity. We are not a religion of law. We are not a religion of a book. There are religions of law and there are religions of books. Christianity is not. Christianity is a religion of person. Christianity is a follower of Christ. We believe in the Word of God, but the Word of God is not a book. It is Jesus Christ incarnate, God made flesh, who dwelt in the world among us. That's what John says in John chapter 1. The Word was made flesh and dwells among us. And so this central fact of Christianity, we don't, we don't rest on a, on, on a sense of orthodoxy of right beliefs. Beliefs are important. Every church has beliefs. They are important for us to process, but they are not ultimately the end of the story. They lead to right practice. They lead to a way of living. They lead to an incarnational way of living and acting in the world. This is what distinguishes Christianity from every other religion in the world, every other faith in the world, is that at the heart of our faith is incarnation. It literally means with flesh, embodied. Jesus was the embodiment of God in the world, and we are to be the embodiment of Jesus in the world. Incarnation is more than theory. It's more than doctrine. It's the way God is in the world. It's the way we are called to be in the world. This is our calling as the church. This is our calling as Chapelwood. This fundamentally is, is the way that I understand biblical Christianity to be lived. And it is why. We have moved through certain situations that have been very confounding and chaotic and disruptive and disagreeing. How we have had tried to maintain the unity that Jesus teaches us, knowing that we have people with a lot of different perspectives and different beliefs of, of how they feel about certain things going on in the world and a lot of things that are happening that, that are moving into the walls of the church. But we can't lose sight of the central tenet of our faith, and that is to be the embodiment of Jesus in the world. This is why we at Chapelwood embody grace as we receive it to those who need it. Romans 5, as we read today, God gave his life for us. Jesus gave his life for us. We didn't deserve it. And even though we suffer we endure and character is created and hope is created. You know, no one would die for a bad person. Maybe someone would die for a good person, but Christ came and died for us all. And we didn't deserve it. We didn't manufacture it. We didn't earn it. And we didn't buy it. There's nothing we did to earn it. It's grace upon grace upon grace. And just like we pray in the Lord's prayer every week, Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we, as we, as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's kind of like, we want the grace, but we don't want to share the grace. We want the grace, but we don't want to embody the grace. Fundamentally, Chapelwood is a church that embodies God's grace to the world. And we embody God's grace to each other. It's the central heart of Christianity. So I'll end with this and just say the church, Chapelwood, is here to give you to be and serve as a sort of a practice field or a training ground for this. Because we're not always going to do it perfectly. And we're not always going to be right. And we're not always going to be able to do it the way we think we should. But we're going to be here to equip you, not just to have all the right answers, because I'm just going to be honest and let you a little secret, no one has all the right answers. Even people who think they do. We don't have all the right answers. We study and we do the best that we can, but we are equipping you to embody Christ in your home, your school, your work, and in your community. That's what we're here to do.
We're here to walk with you as you embody Christ where you live and move and have your being to help you when you fall and when you fail in this embodiment of grace. And you will fall and you will fail. I have fallen, I have failed. And I have people who have walked alongside of me and said, John, you got that wrong. <laughs> you, you didn't handle this in the best way you could have. And thanks be to God, there was grace upon grace upon grace. The grace that was shown to them, now they showered on me and I'm able to rise up again because of the community that comes and walks alongside of me. We're here to offer companionship, a caring community, a community like you heard Ryan and Emily talk about on there to help raise our children together, to help raise our children, a generation to hear and see this biblical message, this biblical Christianity, that it's not just about fighting and worrying and, and making sure that you align, everyone else aligns to your way of seeing how you interpret certain things, but it is to embody Jesus Christ in the world. That's what we want our children to grow and to live and to know because that's what's going to change the world. We're here to offer love and support and call out our best and our giftedness. We're here to tell you the truth, to speak ruthlessly compassionate truth tellers, to walk alongside each other, and, and, to, and to, to figure this journey out together with Christ in the center and offering you and others a community of persons who are seeking to live in the world in transformative ways and to have a different center. That's why for us at Chapelwood, it's so important for us to talk about, uh, you know, this, the center, our, a deep spiritual connection of life. And we talk a lot about deep spirituality here because I really believe that doesn't get talked about enough because that's really fundamentally what it means to live a life where God is at the center and everything else submits to that and everything else orbits around that. And that is not always easy for us to do and discern. And so we need to be in community to do that together. And so I set the table with you today as we talk about embody grace. This is who we are. Why? Not because we think it's the better way to go, but because it is the way that Jesus and Paul and Peter and the entire New Testament, this is the way they outline Christian faith to be lived. I want us to be a biblical church that lives, that Christians who live a biblical lifestyle and not have that word co-opted to mean something that it doesn't mean in the Bible. We are called to embody grace, embody mercy, embody forgiveness, embody gentleness, embody kindness, embody Jesus. Let's pray. God, we live in a, in a very difficult day, but Christians for 2,000 years have lived in difficult days. We've always struggled with how best to go about it. And there have been seasons where we've done better than others. But Lord, one of the things that we know is that if we can follow the teachings of Jesus and Paul and Peter and, and just continue to do our best to love one another, to love you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our spirit, our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Well, we know if we can do that, then we've summed up all the law. And that's our goal, that's our desire. Still, we don't, we don't lose our identity. We don't lose our passions. We don't lose our, our preferences, but all those things now are pushed to a different place and they submit themselves to a greater power. Lord, give us the strength to be your church at Chapelwood, to be a church that embodies grace. In the name of Christ, we pray, amen.